praise this morning. We serve a good God. Amen. Nobody like our God. Hey, well, in John chapter 16, verse 33, the Bible says this. It says, I've said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. 
You know, and I think about that. I think about our world, look around at everything and our, our country and other countries, the turmoil that's going on. But you know, with him, we can still have peace. Amen. He is our peace and our portion. So as we continue to worship, engage with the Lord. Let him be your peace this morning. We bless you, Jesus.
these wounds have paid my ransom. One last time. But peace I know with all my heart. These wounds have paid my ransom. Lord, we thank you, Jesus. Lord, we thank you, Lord. Presence is heaven to me. Oh, 
is heaven to us. Your presence is life-giving to us. In your presence, there's fullness of joy. In your presence, there's healing. In your presence, there's peace. We thank you for your presence. We thank you for it. Here in the midst of our worship, we're going to want to pray with you about whatever's on your heart, whatever you have need of, but especially, this is the word of the Lord to you. With man, it may be impossible, but with God, all things are possible. And what God wanted to say to you this morning, there are some impossible circumstances in your life. You are looking at something that looks impossible, but today I want to tell you, with God, all things are possible. And we want your faith to be built up this morning to know that even though the doctors have told you it's impossible, your accountant may have told you it's impossible, your spouse may have left and said it will never be fixed or healed. Your child may be backslidden and it looks impossible. But today, miracles take place when Christians pray. And we're going to believe in his presence. Miracles are going to take place this morning. So I invite our prayer team to come forward. And I ask you to come forward, receive prayer, and let's see God do some miracles today.
Come on, sing it again. By your spirit. By your spirit, I will rise from the ashes of the The resurrected King is resurrecting me. In your name I come alive to declare your victory. The resurrected King is resurrecting me. people around you make your way back to your seats this morning. Welcome to Church on the Rock. We are so glad you're here worshiping with us today. In the back of the chair in front of you, we have a lot of information about our church. Our inside look lets you know everything about who we are and what we believe in. Our ministry guide gives you plenty of ways to get connected through classes, small groups, and outreach opportunities. 
If you're a first-time guest, please fill out the white card in the seat back in front of you, drop in the offering, or you can bring it across the hall to the Connect Room where you'll receive a free gift bag. And don't forget about our coffee bar and snacks between Sunday services in the Connect Cafe. We are so glad you're here, and we hope you know there is always a place for you. Here's what's happening at Church on the Rock. Winter trimester application deadline for SUM Bible College is Friday, October 28th. For more information, call the church office or go to sum.edu. The Church on the Rock Men's Conference is January 27th through the 29th at Pine Cove Retreat in Tyler, Texas. If you haven't signed up, see Pastor Mike or call the church office. Pick up a container in the foyer and fill it with goodies to give as a Christmas gift to a child in Haiti. Join us in blessing the children of Haiti this Christmas. All the information is in the foyer. Be informed about what each party stands for before you vote. Pick up a voter's guide in the foyer and early voting begins on October 24th. Last night, we had burgers, bingo, and football. Next Saturday, October 29th, after service is Superhero Night. Kids, dress up like your favorite superhero or wear a costume. No scary ones. We'll have hot dogs, popcorn, cotton candy, games, candy, and fun. Welcome to Church on the Rock. Are you doing good today? Awesome. Hey, it's good to see you. How many people are excited to wake up with a little chill in the morning? Feels like October and not August. Anyway, we are so glad that you're here. If you look in the bulletin, you saw an insert, and it's talking about uh, Haiti Christmas uh, baskets that we're making. And hey, we really encourage you, if you go out in the foyer, uh, there's these boxes. You can get these Tupperware boxes, and you can take one home. And we're collecting these at the end of this week, right? And we're hoping to send 150 of these uh, to the kids in Haiti. So, again, if you could take some, take one or two of these home, let your family help fill this out. I'm telling you, it would be a great, great way to bless the people in Haiti. Or you can just write Haiti children on your offering envelope, and we'll make sure we can get to that. Well, I got to hold her for about five seconds. <laughs> is that going to do your family? Well, this is my wife, Annie Ratliff. I'm Zach Ratliff. This is Nori Ratliff. And then the rest of my family's out there, Danny Ratliff, Rachel Ratliff, and Sean, and then my mother-in-law, Sherry's over here trying to hide from everybody so we couldn't call her out. You want to talk on the microphone? What do you want to say? Nope. <laughs> no, she said, I'm very glad to be here today. You know, baby dedication is really a parent and family dedication. There's an age of accountability the Bible talks about, but yet when we, and one day she'll make her own steps to Christ. And I'll suggest to you her choices that she'll make about faith and God won't just be what she heard the preacher say, but most importantly because of what mom and dad exhibited and lived uh, as they raised her. And I want to encourage all of us that whether it's this child that we kind of help raise, that we look out for, our own children or children around us, but how many know children are precious in the sight of God? Scripture says they're a blessing from the Lord. And I believe that though we live in a day that many would see as fearful and troubling, how many know God is a good God? God's able to protect children. 
And kids can be a part of the answer and the solution for what's going on in the world. So I want you to lift your hands with me towards this family and this little girl. And Lord, today as we dedicate this child to the Lord, we just pray that the goodness of God would follow her all the days of her life. We pray, Lord, that you would keep her from violence, that you would keep her from abuse, that you would keep her, Lord, from debilitating disease. And I pray, Lord, that she would be kept pure and holy all her days. And Father, we pray, God, that as she grows, she'd have a love for God that's contagious. And we pray that she would be a great influence in this world for Christ. We bless her family today. Let there always be love in their home. Let there always be food on the table. And let there always be the joy of the Lord in their hearts. And we bless them today in Jesus' name. Everybody say it. Amen. Say bye-bye, everybody. Bye-bye. <laughs> Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. We continue to worship the Lord while we uh, receive tithes and offering. You turn them to the Lord. You know, there's a scripture, I don't know if you're very familiar with, but we'll kind of try to familiar. Have you heard of John 3, 16 before? Let's see if we can say it together. It should be up on the screen. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Okay, first of all, God loves so much that he gave. We have a giving God, and that's why we're here, because he gave his son. But, you know, when you give back to the Lord, uh, it changes lives. It really does. Not only, I know we say the church is not a building, it's people, but then again, the church is a building because people come here every day during the week and they want help, they want prayer, uh, you know, especially the weekends, but even during the week. And Pastor ran into somebody this week that uh, has kind of been in and out of this church some, but let's just hear his testimony, see how your finances will change lives of people. How's it going, Church on the Rock? I just want to give a special shout out and thanks, man, for all of y'all have done in my life, the church as a whole. And uh, not just my life, my kids' life. Uh, I want to give a special thanks to Mike Ulmer, too. Uh, a couple, probably about eight months ago, I came up here wanting to commit suicide, and they bought me a Greyhound ticket, sent me to Longview, man, to a preacher that was coming to the prison I was in and uh, bringing the word of God. And he held his hand out and said, if I ever need him, he'd be there. And he was when I got to, got to Longview. He took me under his wing, got me in the house of disciples and a ministry, and, uh, and I got out of the ministry. I'm doing some ministry myself. I'm riding with the Bikers for Christ, Longview chapter, uh, getting to do some ministry work. I really want to thank Church on the Rock, not just for that, man. For years before this happened, man, I, I got involved because I met old Nick trying to get some marriage counseling. My wife wanted to leave me because uh, a lot of issues. I was sinking the marriage pretty quick, and I was trying to reach out to the church to kind of save it. And uh, the church didn't save my marriage, man, but it saved me. Uh, I was struggling with lust real bad, pornography. I called late into the night, like 11, 12 o'clock at night. Nick said, call me before you for taking the lust, and I would. He answered the call, too, every time, and he'd pray with me. And uh, now I can say I'm free from lust today. I'm free from a lot of things. I'm able to walk in obedience, be a son of obedience. Uh, anybody still struggling with lust or addiction, man, there's hope. Just keep praying, keep seeking God in his presence. I want to thank John, too. I seen John today, man, just all of y'all at the church, what y'all have done in my life, man, in my kids' life. My kids made me go to church because that, oh, oh, uh, kid zone. At times I didn't even want to go to church. They'd be like, Daddy, I want to go to church. I got to get a Bible book and <laughs> have fun on the stage and stuff. And uh, Man, it's just been amazing. The Celebrate Recovery y'all here, too, is really amazing. I just want to thank all y'all from the bottom of my heart, man. Uh, thank you for giving to the Lord. Amen. Thank you for giving. It changes lives. God bless you as you give today. my mind to Calvary.
give Jesus a big hand today. What a great, great song. Forever I will sing his praise. Hey, turn to your neighbor and say, I am sure glad you're here today. And you may be seated. We're going to begin this morning in Proverbs 14, but if you'd allow me to brag just a second, I got a little picture I want to show you of my daughter and her dad at homecoming on Friday night. It was a great day in Redwater, Texas. And went home after that and made a fire. I mean, it doesn't get much better than that. Of course, the next day I had to turn the air conditioner back on. But listen, I'm thrilled you're here this morning. I want to begin this morning with the book of Proverbs. It's a scripture that sets the tone for the message. I want to talk this morning to you about a pastoral perspective on the upcoming election. And I want to begin with a proverb. It's Proverbs 14:34, And it says, Doing what is right makes a nation great. How many know a nation can do wrong or a nation can do right? To do right implies that we live by God's commandments, that we order ourselves according to God's word. But Scripture goes on to say, but sin will bring disgrace to any people. And I suggest to you today, it doesn't take a brain surgeon to know that America's in great, great trouble. America's headed in the wrong direction. And I suggest to you that reason is because we have turned our back and abandoned biblical principles. We have gone our own way. And yet every few years in America, hope is rekindled in our heart that there might arise leader, a leader and leaders and judges across the land that would take steps toward returning our civil government to a godly government, a godly nation. Well, the Bible offers guidance to every decision, and this election season is no different. 
I want to, I feel a bit of a tension in this election, and I don't mean just the stress about what's, uh, what's going on around us and the polarization, but I mean a tension about the limited choices that we seem to have. Tony Perkins, the head of the Family Research Council, probably the, the largest Christian advocacy group in Washington, D.C., he, he shares these thoughts about the presidential election, and he entitled the article, Caught Between a Rock and a Hard Place. He says, in an election between two people who have said and done things that stand in contradiction to biblical values and truths, Christians are intently wrestling with what they should do. He's talking about Mr. Trump and Mrs. Clinton. For some, the temptation is to throw in the towel and walk away. It's been, it's been an overwhelming temptation. As an individual, I publicly supported and campaigned for a president in the primary uh, with whom I shared values and worldview, but he didn't prevail. So now, faced with choosing between two candidates that are far from ideal and a nation on the brink, what are Christians called to do? And it's that question that I want to humbly address with you this morning. What am I as a Christian? What can I do? Who should I vote for in this upcoming election? And I'm not here today representing a political party. I'm not going to presume to tell you who to vote for. But I will do my best to share a biblical, a pastoral perspective on the election that's before us. And there's a picture I want to show you that kind of sums up where our nation is. It's, it's uh, the donkey on the left, and his rear end is facing the elephant who's on the right, the Democrats and Republicans. Now, Wikipedia says there's, I think, 37 different political parties in America, that's a ton. You should look them up. The Communist Party USA, Socialist Party USA. There's all sorts of political parties that are out there, but yet we are primarily a two-party system. It is primarily, primarily those that are act and behave and believe as the Republican versus those that act and behave and believe as the Democrat. And here's my concern in America. In elections, it seems like our politicians try to divide our nation. It seems like we all, they try to put us all in little boxes and collect as many boxes as they can. And they try to appeal to us. But what happens is then we begin to hate each other. And the tragedy is, rather than keeping our focus on the cross, we as a Christian can look at one another and say, well, if you're a Democrat, I don't like you. And if you're a Republican, I don't like you. I don't believe in what you stand for. I don't like what the Republicans did 20 years ago. I don't like what the Democrats did 10 years ago, whatever the case is. And my challenge to you is, as a Christian, can we be a little higher than that? We certainly have our ideas and our ideals and in terms of party, but have me know we're a part of a greater party. We are part of the eternal kingdom of God. And no matter what happens after on election day, the day after the election, how many know Jesus is still going to be king of kings and lord of lords? You and I are still going to be a part of the eternal kingdom of God. And how many know his kingdom has no end? Well, just if I could regress a moment, uh, early voting in Arkansas and Texas starts tomorrow. There's an insert in your bulletin in terms of the dates and the times and locations where you can early vote. Um, we don't, we've also got on, in the lobby some nonpartisan voter material, educational material that, that uh, uh, conveys where the parents stand on, uh, or the uh, parties as well as candidates stand on the issues. And I don't know about you, but I need some help when I vote. I looked at the ballot, and uh, on the time uh, I live in Texas, there are, I think, six judges... Well, I want to know what those judges stand for and believe before I vote for one of them. 
I have gone into the ballot box one time in my adult life where I, where I was not prepared and there were things on the ballot I'd never read. I didn't know what to do. I didn't know who to vote for. And how many know the best thing to do in that situation is probably just to walk out of because you can be voting for the wrong person. So I need some help. I, I, I want to know where those people stand. Um, if I don't know what to do or who to vote for, what I'll often do in election season, I'll talk to someone who is a Christian that's more knowledgeable than me. And this goes right along with Pastor Tony Evans. If you've ever heard of Tony Evans, he's an African-American pastor in Dallas. He was the chaplain at one time of the Dallas Cowboys and the Mavericks, a well-respected Christian. And here's what he tells his congregation in terms of voting. He says, what you need to do is get you a sheet of paper and put four columns on it. In the first column, put the issue. In the next column, put what the Democrats believe. The third column, what the Republicans believe. And the fourth column, what God says. And then you prioritize the issues, and then you pray and vote accordingly. And I want to encourage you, that's a healthy and a dynamic way to do it. Uh, in this morning's message, what I want to do is I want to, I want to broaden the scope of my message. I want to certainly, as we begin with the Bible, I'm going to look at three major issues in the election that are bigger than candidates, but I also want to kind of paint a background. I want to talk to you about how our government works. I want to give you some history. I want to talk about current events, and uh, I think you'll, I think you'll uh, enjoy this. But I've entitled the message, Judges Matter. And as I get into the message, I think you'll, you'll understand more of that. Let's first go to Exodus chapter 18, and let's first talk about biblical qualifications for leaders. Now, the Bible was written several thousand years ago, and some of the events occurred years before that, hundreds if not thousands of years earlier than that. Uh, the, in the biblical era, they didn't have elections like we do today. They didn't have a society that was built on the vote of the individual. We, they didn't have a voice in their culture. But yet still, Moses was given advice about how to pick leaders for civil affairs. In Exodus 18, Moses was told to choose some, say it with me, capable men. So the question is, what is a capable person to lead? And here's how a capable leader, a biblical leader, is defined. It is men who respect God, number one. Number two, those who can be trusted. And number three, those who will not change their decisions for money. It was pretty simple. It was pretty forthright. But it was biblical character. The first Supreme Court Justice, John Jay, said this. Imagine now, the Supreme Court of America, the first justice of the nation. He said, providence, which is his term for God. God has given to our people the choice of their rulers and it is their duty to select and prefer Christians for their rulers. Can you believe if someone said that today? I mean, they would be mocked because in our world today, we're taught that, you know, God doesn't have anything to do, religion doesn't have anything to do with government. But in the early American days, our founders decidedly Christian talked about this. And then he said this, the Americans are the first people from heaven, whom heaven has favored with an opportunity to choose the forms of government under which they should live. Now, having said that, we've got a problem because neither of our presidential candidates have biblical character. And this is the dilemma that as I look at Mr. Trump and Mrs. Clinton, that I'm reminded of each time neither one of them fit the biblical ideal. So again, the question is, what should we do? Here's what one man chose to do. When he asked was who's best, he votes for Mickey Mouse. Well... It may be cute, and you may have something to laugh about, but you have just wasted your vote by voting for Mickey. 
is I, if I can go further with this point, in our second presidential debate, I watched all three of them, found them very enlightening. In the second presidential debate, the first question of the debate, and I want you to think about this, that with all that's going on in America and all the issues, the first question was a question posed to Mr. Trump, and here was the question. The moderator said, we've received a lot of, of questions online, Mr. Trump, about the tape that was released on Friday. And what it was, someone had kept a recorded tape of 11 years earlier of some inexcusable comments he made. But in the tape, the moderator went on to say, you called what you said locker room banner. You described kissing women without consent and grabbing their privates. This is sexual assault. Well, I mean, that's inexcusable. But it didn't stop there. On the front row of the debate was former President Clinton. And if you can imagine now, we, he's on the one side of the debate room, and these three women, obviously they've aged over the years, as all of us do, but these three women, plus lots of other gals, have been accusing him of doing the same thing that Donald Trump was accused of doing, and now they're on the front row, they held a press conference, and they continue to come out of the woodwork. And of course, Hillary, Mrs. Clinton, in the background, covering things up and demonizing these women. So it's very clear to all of us that neither candidate has the, has the uh, character, the biblical character, the sense that you can tell your kids, be like them and follow them. So again, my question is, what are we supposed to do? Do we just bury our heads in the sand? Because the fact is that on the day, because when Inauguration Day takes place in early January, one of these two will be elected and they will make decisions that affect you and I for generations to come. And I suggest to you the biggest decision they will make is who will they will appoint as Supreme Court justices in America. Now, this is why I entitled the message, uh, uh, Judges Matter. And I'm going to talk just a moment about the Supreme Court in America and its role. Now, there's a picture of the court, and as you can see, nine individuals, men and women, one's missing, Justice Scalia that passed away this year. Justice Scalia was what was called an originalist. He believed that the founders meant what they said in the Constitution. It was not a fluid, changing document. Whereas many on the court or on the liberal side, they believe that the Constitution can and should be changed to reflect the change in times and the change in cultural values of the people. And if you've noticed the last, uh, the last several uh, uh, court cases, many are four to four now or many are five to four suggesting that there is a pull in America today between two different directions. One that's called a, a more traditional direction, which would tradition based on the Bible. Another is a more liberal, a progressive, a more independent, a more free way of thinking where the individual can do what they want to without boundaries. The appointment clause of the Constitution says the president shall have the power to appoint judges of the Supreme Court and all officers or judges in the United States. As of September of this year, President Obama had appointed and had confirmed 329 federal judges. Think about that. We've got 50 states. I mean, so that's, you know, we have 329 judges that have been appointed across America, two of which were members of the Supreme Court. Now, the Supreme Court, when our nation was founded, was not intended to be the, the chief of the three branches uh, of our government, the executive, the judicial, and the legislative. Our nation was founded by uh, we, the principle of we the people. 
We the people have our vote. Our leaders are accountable. The justice was to serve, and the Constitution says, as long as they behaved. But what's happened in our world today is we the people are often ignored, and now nine people, and often one that makes the deciding vote, decides on the future course of our nation. Our Supreme Court has made some incredibly terrible decisions over the years. In 1857, arguably the worst decision the court ever made, it was called the Dred Scott case, and he ruled that people of African ancestry could never become citizens of the United States. I mean, no, that is truly deplorable. In 1962, the Supreme Court said it was unconstitutional for a state official to open the school day in prayer in public schools. Not to be outdone, in 1963, the Supreme Court struck down a Pennsylvania law requiring public school days be open with Bible reading. Now, mind you now, the Congress has a chaplain who opens the Bible, who prays, the Supreme Court even has a herald that says, God bless this honorable court. The picture of Moses and the Ten Commandments are on their walls, but now somehow they want you and I to believe that there is this lie called the separation of church and state in the Constitution. Our Supreme Court has been dismantling America and remaking it. 1968, Arkansas had a law prohibiting the teaching of evolution. They threw that out the window. 1973, the Supreme Court created a woman's right to an abortion. 1980, a Kentucky law uh, uh, was on the books that the Ten Commandments should be in public school classrooms, out the door, unconstitutional. The Ten Commandments. We'd rather replace the Ten Commandments with metal detectors and a police force on our campuses rather than telling kids that they're going to stand one day before a God. Come on now. They're going to be accountable to that God and that life matters. This past year, 2015, the Supreme Court ruled by five to four that the Constitution guarantees a right to same-sex marriage. Nine men and women governing America, often in opposition to the will of the people, and the next president will not only, uh, not only replace Justice Scalia, it'll be one of the first things that come out in the few months of their, of their new appointment, but also there are three justices that are older than 78 years of age. So it is likely the next president, who he or she will be, will pick four Supreme Court justices, two, three, or four justices, that will tilt the court one direction or the other. And can I tell you, friends, it has lasting effects. And you think your vote doesn't matter? Since Roe versus Wade has been passed, 50 to 60 million children have not been able to breathe their first breath. How many know judges matter? Now let me talk briefly about some of the issues in this election. You're awful quiet on this morning. Is it hot out there? All right. Yeah. <laughs> you know, um, I think I'm correct, but I think Texas has six or eight, six or eight uh, candidates to choose from for president and a write-in opportunity. Arkansas, I think, has five with no write-in. But this is bigger than just the number of parties and... Bottom line, one of those two parties will, will, will win, our, win the election, and one of those men or women. Now, I, I'm using these rocks as an illustration, not a geology lesson today, but if you can imagine that these smaller rocks are all issues that are out there, viable issues in the election. These bigger ones are the three that I'm going to talk about that I think from a pastoral perspective are huge. But, for example, this first one, uh, maybe there's an issue out there about immigration. 
Now, I'm not going to have time to talk about every one of these, what I'm going to call smaller issues, still significant. But basically, there's two visions in America. A vision with open borders, a vision with there's no difference between America and Canada and Mexico and Southern America and let's all be one, globalism, and a more structured, ordered immigration. Uh, uh, right now, we have lawlessness on our borders. Two different visions. Uh, our nation's debt. We've heard very little about the economy in this election, but every, the last two presidents have both doubled the nation's debt. Uh, this past year, we have brought in more tax dollars than ever in the nation's history, but our government still spends hundreds of billions of dollars more than it takes in. It seems like it's never enough. And again, both candidates have different views of taxation and how much of our money should be taken from us to go to Washington. Different views. Uh, health care, it's a big one. We're watching our nation's health care unraveling. A lot of the exchanges across America going bankrupt, insurers pulling out. And now a decision is going to be made. Are we going to go towards what's called single-payer system, which basically is government-run health care, socialized medicine, one of the big problems with that, if you just want to say, well, is that good or is that bad? Look at nations around the world, and when these nations have problems in their health care, guess what? They come to America, those that can afford it, to get more quality health care. Why do we somehow imagine that the government can do a better job, come on, than we the people living in a free nation of liberty? That's a big one. And this one is perhaps one of the, one, the most emotionally charged. I'm going to call it simply an issue based on our heritage. It could be based on our race. It could be based on our gender. Uh, in the last election with President Obama, the first African-American to run for office, listen, I can easily see how an African-American would vote for him simply because of the color of his skin. I mean, no, that was historic in America to see a, a, with America's uh, tragic past to have an African-American elected. But if I could perhaps give a personal illustration, my mom, uh, she'll be here in the second service, she's an immigrant from the Baltic state of Latvia. Uh, World War II, the Russians and the Germans were in conflict. At that point, the Germans were helping her nation. Russia had come in, and the first thing they did when they just took over the nation of Latvia, the first thing they did, and hear me, was they took the guns of the people. Shortly after that, they came in my grandfather's home in the middle of the night. He was a postmaster. They took him out of his bed. They took barbed wire, chained him to another Latvian, put him on a train headed to Siberia. Uh, supernaturally, I don't have time to go on the story, but he escaped. He got his family, and they got in their horse and their wagon, whatever they could get, and they just they escaped from there, and they made their way to America. And this little doll, I don't know if you can see it, but mom made something similar to this. She, made, she was 12 years old on a ship sailing to America, and she made the first uh, dollar, uh, in Amer uh, first American dollar for her family because she made this, this little doll. Well, here's why I share all that. Mom heard that one of the candidates came out uh, and said something positive about Mr. Putin, the, the uh, president of Russia. And because of her heritage and experience with the Russian government, the first thing out of her mouth was, I could never vote for this candidate because he said something about Russia. We all have push-button issues, whether they're gender, whether they're race, whether they're like my mom's heritage, uh, man-made global warming, I wish I had time to go into that, taxes, that's an issue, gun control, uh, in, in Arkansas, marijuana, legalized, uh, not legalized marijuana, but medicinal marijuana. Let me remind you, that's not just a, a cool dude deal that's coming. 
In Colorado, before they legalized marijuana, they first passed medical marijuana. But let me remind you of an undeniable fact. Marijuana affects your brain. And particularly for younger teenage people, it's not in a positive direction. That's an issue out there. And for the life of me, Iran and Israel, I cannot understand how in the world our government has turned our back on Israel and funded the greatest sponsor of terrorism in the Middle East, which is Iran, and given them billions of dollars, and many argue that made it easier for them to get a nuclear missile. I cannot understand how that happened, but we are, both parties represent two different directions on these issues. But the three that I want to spend a larger bit of time on is the issue, first of all, about human life, the value of human life, secondly, about uh, marriage and sexuality, and third, religious freedom. Stay with me on these three. The first one, Psalm 139, because Supreme Court justices will be making decisions about all of these issues in the days ahead. And I guarantee you Christians will be praying and praying and praying about God's will. Well, listen, this is the decision that will affect a multitude of trickle-down decisions. Let's talk first about defending human life. Now, when Roe versus Wade, there's a picture coming up of a child in the womb, when Roe versus Wade was passed, this is an ultrasound, it's a 3D image. The child is either 15 weeks or 25, and I'm sorry, I, I, I didn't remember which one. But it's a child in the womb. You can see this is not a baby squirrel. It's not a dog. It's not a cow. It's not a bug. It's a human being. And as I make these remarks, I'm fully aware of how sensitive this issue is, and in no way do I want to bring condemnation to any of us. Listen, friends, if you have have been party to an abortion. Can I tell you, God's forgiveness is greater than our mistakes. But let us never fail to speak for those who cannot speak for themselves. When Roe versus Wade was passed, it could be argued that we didn't really know what was going on in the womb and, and when a child was a person. But it's no question now. The psalmist, though, told us this before the ultrasounds came out. Psalm 139 says, You, God, knit me together in my mother's womb... And notice the personal pronouns, me. You watched me as I was being formed in the dark of the womb. Every day of my life was recorded in your book. Every moment was laid out before a single day had passed. So what does that mean? It's more than fetal material. It's more than the product of conception. It is a living human being. And this is an issue in America because there's a biblical call to defend the helpless. Do you realize pure religion in the New Testament, the book of James, is to do what? It's helping widows and orphans. It's helping the helpless. Well, the Psalm 82 says that we're to uphold the rights of the oppressed and the destitute to rescue the poor or the weak and the helpless. Deliver them from the grasp of evil people. I cannot think of a more evil person that has gone to medical school but then become an abortionist and still call themselves a doctor, this one who takes human life. The words weak, helpless, oppressed, I suggest to you that they refer to the most helpless among us. It is the unborn. Proverbs says we're to save those who are being led to their death. We are to rescue those who are about to be killed. Now, the political philosophy of Abraham Lincoln on human rights was the Declaration of Independence. And the second sentence of that declaration says, We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal and they're endowed by their creator. 
Can I tell you, we are as far away from acknowledging a creator. We have ascribed to this non-person force called evolution, brilliance and purpose that belongs to the creator. But the creator gives us unalienable rights. And this word unalienable or inalienable, it means rights that cannot be taken away from the outside. In other words, government has no right to take away this right from an individual. And the first right was mentioned was the right to life. And you say, and I'm going to tell you, friends, this is bigger than just the baby in the womb. Euthanasia is coming down the road. Come on now. It's legalized in places. And in Europe, where it's legalized, it becomes increasing, increasing, and increasing the number of people who are not having a, a say in their lives. Come on now. Because as money becomes tight one day, and you perhaps become, you're not a contributor to society, someone else would be making those decisions about your life. Under current law, a baby can be aborted until the moment it's born. In New York City, there are more abortions in the African-American community than there are live births. Do you know in America today, most abortion clinics are in minority neighborhoods. I tell you, friends, this is a big issue. If this child survives outside the womb, for example, a saline abortion, and this child, this little girl, is born alive, nurses have testimony about how these kids are ignored, they're pushed into a room to die on their own, or their life is deliberately taken from them. Can I tell you, friends, the Bible prevents this practice. It's called in the Ten Commandments murder. This was the most shocking thing to me in the third debate. I couldn't believe, number one, that the moderator even brought the question up. But he asked each candidate about their stands for life and abortion. He even mentioned partial birth abortion. Listen now. I wish they'd have gone further into this. But in partial birth abortion, a baby is, and and very graphic here, but partially born. The head's still in the womb of the mother. And the doctor takes a tool and right in the back part of the brain, sticks it in the child's skull, takes an instrument and sucks the brains out of the baby. And that's called a partial birth abortion. And I could not believe Mrs. Clinton stood and and, and stood for the rights of that to happen in our nation today. But it's out there. Marriage and sexuality. How do we know that, first of all, marriage and sexuality is the second big issue. How do we know the difference between right and wrong? Let me kind of step back a moment. Because this is a polarizing issue in America today. But how do you know the difference between right and wrong? How do we as a people know who to listen to or who's right? Do we, do we listen to a, a psychologist or psychiatrist or, or a professional whose opinions change over the years? Come on now. Do we listen to science? Do we listen to the government? Do we, who do we listen to? Well, the Bible describes of itself that it has the moral authority to tell us the difference between right and wrong. Paul said in Timothy that all Scripture is inspired by God. It's useful to teach us what is what's true and make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we're wrong and teaches us to do what's right. Now, ponder that phrase just a moment. The Bible corrects us when we're wrong and teaches us to do what it's right. Now, listen. That statement is true or false. Either the Bible has the moral authority to tell me about issues of honesty, about how to treat my children, about how to treat my parents, or it's not. 
Either the Bible gives us, and this is what freedom of religion is about. You don't have to believe this, but for those that do believe it, let me know whether or not I believe it is not what makes it true. Listen, you may not believe in God, but if God indeed exists, let me know your unbelief does not cause him to cease to exist. We have elevated the right of the individual almost to a godlike place in America. Now, the biblical basis of sexuality and marriage, here's the words of Jesus. In Matthew 19, Jesus quotes the book of Genesis, chapter 2, and Jesus said, Have you not read in Scripture that he who created them from the beginning made them, made the male and female? And then Jesus said, A man shall, a man, masculine, shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, feminine, and not just in feeling or action, but in biology. And the two shall become one flesh, the picture of sexual intercourse, for the enjoyment within marriage, but for the procreation of the race. In verse 6, there are no longer two, but one flesh. And here's God's affirmation of this. Here is Jesus Christ's affirmation. What God has joined together, let not man separate. Now, once again, sexuality and marriage, either what I just read from the words of Jesus are true or they're false. And what we're battling with today is a culture that said they're false. Now, let me be very, very, very clear. First of all, every, Jesus loves everyone. How I many know when Pastor Mike read, For God so loved the world, He gave His only Son? How I many know that's all of us? That's every sinner starting with me and starting with you, whether we're a fornicator, an adulterer, a practicing homosexual, you know, whatever the case we may be, a pornographer, a child abuser, God loves us all. But how I many know God doesn't approve of all behavior? And this is the rub. Our church does our best to try to love all people. When you saw this guy earlier during the, uh, the video, uh, I ran into him a uh, 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 homecoming day. Rebecca sends me this text, and I, I must confess I'm a softie. But she sends me this text, Oh, Dad, I'm hungry, and, 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 and I need you to bring me something to eat today because I'm not going to have time to eat before homecoming. So dutiful Dad runs down to the subway to get her a sandwich, and I ran into this guy. And I got to tell you, he was a little scary looking when he was sitting out there. He had his glasses on, and I didn't know who he was. And I walked past him, though, and I told him, I said, hey, how are y'all doing today? And I walked in. They were on their bike right in front, of the, in front of, the, of, of the gas station. Well, when I'm ordering my sandwich, he comes up to me, takes his glasses off, says, Pastor John? And I turned around, and I recognized him. So what's the point? He doesn't look like me. Listen, he's got tattoos, and I don't. I'm scared of needles. Come on now. Now, my wife, she has a lot of tattoos. Don't let her, don't let her. She's not here. She's got one over here. It says, I heart my pastor. You know, you know I, she's got a lot of tattoos. No, but anyway, people are different from us, and our church does our best to try to open its arms, come on now, and welcome and love all people. So don't let anybody ever throw the hate language towards you. Jesus loves people, and so does Church on the Rock. But listen, the biblical understanding of human sexuality and marriage is the basis of Western civilization. But in 2004, Arkansans voted 3 to 1 to amend their constitution to affirm traditional marriage and make same-sex marriage unconstitutional. But in 2014, one circuit judge 
an appointed judge overturned the will of the people in the state of Arkansas. And in 2015, the Supreme Court required all states to issue marriages license to same-sex couples and recognize same-sex marriage in other jurisdictions. Can I tell you, friends, both of President Obama's Supreme Court appointees voted for this unbiblical measure. And don't you think that it's behind us just because it's been ruled on? Here's the problem. In America today, what started out as the gay or the homosexual movement has been picking up people over the years. They've been picking up. They recently added, it was used to be LGB, and then they added T, transsexual, and now they've added Q, and, and, and now they're adding the transgender person. And this whole push against traditional biblical morality is like a freight train coming across America. Well, guess who's standing over here? Come on now. Simply saying... I can't go along with that. I can love you as a person, but I disagree with what you're doing. There's a train wreck that's about to happen. Come on now. There's a train wreck that's coming in America, and unless God intervenes, a judge that is appointed by someone we elect will make these big decisions in life. Punch your neighbor and say, he's preaching better than where I'm ending this morning. Let me give you this last one. Religious freedom. Matthew chapter 5, verse 14. Religious freedom. Jesus said, you're the light of the world. You're like a city on a hilltop that can't be hidden. Jesus said, let your good deeds shine for, for all to see. This is the public proclamation of Christianity so that everyone will praise your heavenly Father. You see, I, I, I'm not just saying what I say every week because it's for John Miller or for us. Listen, I want everybody to be able to go to heaven. I want everybody to know the love of the Savior. Christians are called to be a light that shines in the world, but the world is trying to put out our light. The world is trying to say, keep your religion in your church building rather than in the public square. Our founders believed in the freedom of religion and they recognized the first right that government was to protect in the Bill of Rights. Come on. It was not the freedom of the press. It was not freedom of speech. But you know what right it was? It was the freedom of religion. The Bill of Rights says this, Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof. The Establishment Clause, the first part, is why we have what's called separations of church and state, no prayer in schools, and, and no prayer at football games, and all these things, because they don't want to establish a religion. But they've totally ignored, uh, pick up, uh, go backwards. They've totally ignored the free exercise clause of religion. Now, religious freedom is simply this. It is the right to choose a religion or no religion. Christian, Christians are not trying to impose Christianity on America. We're not trying to have a theocracy where, uh, you know, the pastor is the king. But we are trying to recognize God's standards, come on, and God's principles that made the nation great. Um, freedom of religion is the right to choose a religion or not. And listen, to practice your beliefs in private and public without the interference by the government. What difference does it make if a town has a manger scene and if somebody wants to put a picture of a goblin up, God bless them. What difference does it make? Listen, when children were first educated in America and the primer, the primer that they were taught to read by was filled with Bible verses. Webster's Dictionary, 1828, filled with Bible verses. It was a part of the heritage of America, but we're told today those things are not appropriate and the government is doing the opposite of what it's supposed to do. Religious freedom of Christians is under assault in America. 
If you don't believe me, coaches are fired because they've prayed with, their, with, their, with the football team after the game in a private setting when no one was forced to do it. Children are told across America, thankfully not Texarkana, but they're told in public schools across America during story time and, and, and share time, you can't bring Bible verses, you can't bring anything religious to class, and this little second grader goes home in tears. Bakers, florists, and photographers, and t-shirt makers are fined until their business is closed because they've declined to support same-sex marriage. If you don't believe this is the trump card in America today, four years ago, a professor, Angela McCaskill, the first African-American woman to earn a doctorate degree from Gallaudet University, I believe it's in the District of Columbia, she worked there for 24 years. Now think about this today. Think about the, 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 the racial consciousness Black Lives Matter has brought to America. Think of what Colin Kaepernick has brought to America by kneeling during the national anthem, the focus on race. And that's become a focal attention, uh, attention grabber in America. Well, you would think that an African-American woman who'd earned a doctorate degree you would think that she would be treated, come on, with honor, but it was not the case. She was placed on administrative leave because she signed a petition at her church calling for same-sex marriage measure to be placed on the November ballot four years ago. In communist Russia in July, just a few months ago, Putin recently approved anti-terrorism laws to restrict missionary activity and evangelism. Anti-terrorism, missionaries, evangelism. We change the verbiage or the language. We say that people that hold biblical values have hate speech. And their offensiveness is improper in a multicultural society. In Russia today, you cannot share your faith in your home. You cannot share your faith online, but only in a government-recognized church building. That, friends, is freedom of worship inside the walls of the church, not freedom of religion to be practiced in our society. America, sadly, is headed there. If we, if we, listen, if we continue in the direction we're heading... This is part of this election. This is where we're going. Franklin Graham, Billy Graham's son, recently said, religious freedom is up for a vote in this election. He said there's going to come a time, and it may be sooner than you think, where we, cannot be, we won't be able to do what I've done this year. He said, I've gone to all 50 state capitals on public property to hold a prayer rally and preach the gospel. And if religious freedom continues in the direction it's going for the Christian... Not the Muslim, not the Hindu, but for the Christian, that's where the, uh, where the angst is, the gospel could stop. Now, and the reason I bring this up is not because I want us just to be happy in this little church. It's not just because we want to keep our tax exemption. How many know America has been the greatest missionary sending organization in the history of the world? We do more to help the poor. Listen, when the Haiti earthquake or, the, or this flood devastates the southern end of the island, ministries like Franklin Graham and other Christian groups have plain loads of food and medical supplies and tents, and they're going with no government funding. Come on now. And they're helping people around the world. So I believe in religious freedom for America, not just for my comfort, but for the ability of this nation to bring its gospel proclamation. Give the Lord a good hand here, and I'm, I'm just about done. I know my time is up, but can I have two or three extra minutes? Who will give me two or three extra minutes today? Two, four, six, eight, ten, twenty. Okay, that's all I need. All right, let me, let me close with this thought. Now, our privilege and responsibility to vote. I want to suggest to you that your vote is a precious thing. 
Now, get the camera close on this. I don't know if you can see this, but it's just a bookmarker. They make them in Mexico by the truckload. Um, uh, you know, you can pick them up anywhere, but not this one. This one's irreplaceable. My 90-year-old grandmother, before she died, she made this for me. I keep it in my Bible. This morning I took it out of the book of Deuteronomy. It's precious to me. And I'm going to suggest that our votes should have that same type of preciousness to us. Here's why. Anyone know what the 15th Amendment guarantees? 15th Amendment. You were here last night. 15th Amendment. Every African American should know what this is. In 1870, the Constitution granted African American men the right to vote. Not women, but African American men the right to vote. But it took almost 100 years before that vote was not threatened. Does anyone know what the 19th Amendment is? Every woman should know what that is. The 19th Amendment in 1920 gave women the right to vote. We take it for granted today. I suggest it's a precious thing. How could I, as an African American, how could I, as a woman, knowing the heritage of my past and the oppression, not treat my vote, come on, with sanctity? But for every one of us as Americans, wars have been fought and countless thousands, millions of men and women have died for the freedom and the liberty of our nation. And part of that freedom, come on, is the freedom to vote and the freedom to express our values and to express our religion. Our vote is precious. I know many of us are frustrated with the choices that we have in this election, but to not vote is to allow other people to make the decisions that are going to affect you and your future for generations to come. Don't be one of the 30 million people that lets that happen. Come on, somebody say, praise the Lord. Don't be one of them. I'm going to close with this quote. Samuel Adams, a founding father who gave us this nation, he said, let each citizen remember at the moment he's offering his vote, he's executing one of the most solemn trusts in human society for which he's accountable to God and his country. May God help us and may God bless the United States of America. Come on, give the Lord a good hand today. Why don't you stand to your feet and I want to have a, a, a closing prayer. I'll pick up some of those minutes you gave me maybe next week. I can't get you to laugh at hardly anything today. Next week, seriously, I'm going to kind of do a, a part two to this message, but it's going to be very different. How many know a bird can't fly with one wing? How many know the doctrines in Scripture of free will and sovereignty or God's ultimate control often seem to conflict? We either want it to be all our part or all God's part. Well, how many know it's both? I work like it all depends on me and I pray like it all depends on God. Well, next week I'm going to talk, we're going to go back to the book of Genesis and talk about Joseph in the series. And we're going to talk about how God is in control. Amen. We're going to talk about a sovereign God, come on, in control and, uh, uh, of the affairs of America. See, I'm told in the Bible, I'm told, and here's how we're going to close, we're told to pray for rulers and all those in authority so we can live a quiet and a peaceful life. But can I tell you, friend, as important as this election is, America's future doesn't depend on this election alone. Come on. How many know America's future depends on God Almighty? You see, you and I are part of a bigger kingdom. And I don't care what, I don't care, I care about who's elected. Listen, I do deeply. But if I wake up the next morning and every person I voted for loses, come on, I can still have a smile on my face because the one who holds this world in his hands is still in control. 
I'm telling you, the Lord Jesus Christ is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And there's a, I'm a part of a bigger kingdom, come on, than the kingdom of this earth. I'm a part of something bigger than Democrats and Republicans and Libertarians and Green Party and Communist Party and all these parties. I'm a part of the eternal kingdom of God, come on. And that's where my focus is. So next week, we'll kind of talk about this balance between our responsibility to see things happen and God's sovereignty to, to have them at work. But my friends, I want us to close for just a moment and pray for America. I want us to pray for those in authority, as the Bible says, because I don't know about you, but I want to have a quiet and peaceable life. I don't want to be faced with what Christians were faced with in Nazi Germany. I don't want to be faced with what Christians are being faced with in the Middle East today. I want my kids to grow up in a quiet and peaceable world. And Lord, it's to that end that we pray today. May your kingdom come and may your will be done in this upcoming election. Come on, pray that with me right now. Say, Lord, let your will be done. I, I'm praying, God, for the man or the woman that you want to place in political office. I'm praying for every judge that's going to emerge in America. Come on, pray for me right now. Just pray with me. Just let your voice be heard. God, for the men and women that will make choices in America. But our prayer is that you would either cause godly people to be elected, men and women of character, or that you would convert them and give them godly character. But God, that you could use a Cyrus, you could use a pagan king like you did in the Old Testament, and you raised up a man to get the children of Israel from captivity back into the promised land, and you did it with a pagan. And I want to pray, God, today for our nation. I want to pray, Lord, for the men and women on the Supreme Court that they would have an encounter with God even this very moment. And I want to pray for President Obama today, for he and his wife and his family. I want to pray for the Spirit of the living God to fall afresh on their lives today. I want to pray in his last days of office that he would make true uh, decisions that no one can question his, 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 what he's doing because it's lining up with the Bible. God bless that man and God bless those that will come in our future. And This is our prayer today in Jesus' name. Can everybody say it? Amen. Amen. Hey, let's close this way. We're going to have one last closing song. But I, as we always do, I want to have some people to come to the altar in this song because here's what I know. Anytime the Bible is open and the gospel is preached and, and, and the Holy Spirit is present, God touches people's lives. And you may feel a need to make a connection with God. You may feel a need to just pray with someone about anything that we've perhaps said today or God's burden that may be in your heart. But here's the most important prayer we'd like to offer today. Maybe you're here today and say, Pastor, my, my need is more than just a, the right president. My need is for a Savior. Because I want to tell you, friends, no, neither presidential candidate has offered to save you from your sins. Come on. Neither has offered to go to the cross for you so your sins could be forgiven. I mean, that's exactly what Jesus Christ did. And maybe you're here today in the last few days or weeks of your life, you begin to realize the emptiness of your life without God. And maybe you feel in your heart a drawing to God today. Maybe you feel what I felt as a 19-year-old boy, that going to church is not enough. Being religious is not enough. I need to commit my life to follow Christ. Maybe you're here today and you need God's forgiveness in your life and you want to get right with God today. Friend, if you're here today and you want us to pray for you as you commit your life to Christ, would you just raise your hand real quickly and say, pray for me, Pastor. I want to get my life right with God today. God bless you, sir, in the back. Anybody else today say, pray for me today. I want to get my life right with God today, and I don't want to leave church before I do. Give that man one big hand today and say, God bless you, sir. We'd like to pray for you today. I want to ask you, sir, if you'll come up and let us pray for you right now. Just come on up to the front and meet someone at the cross. Give him another big hand as he's coming today. 
Someone's going to meet you at the cross and pray for you today as you make this commitment of your life to Christ. God bless you, sir. Our prayer team is coming to the front now. We'll have one last song in prayer, and then we'll close. God bless you. Thank you so much for coming today. You come, let us pray for you. I love you very much. Give us clean hands, give us pure hearts, let us not lift our souls to another. Give us clean hands, give us pure hearts, let us not lift our souls.